0: Are any of you a creature of habit? I am. When I go to the Met, for example, I will always, always go see Monet. Every single time. When I go to Starbucks, I get chai. When I go to Via Codrano, I get the Savino Panini. I am a creature of habit. Teresa was a member of a church I once served. She was a retired nurse in her early 80s. Teresa helped to open up the psych unit at the local hospital, and I suspect that on her free days she served as a marine drill instructor. She was tough as nails. She was opinionated direct blunt, and she had a heart of gold. As the last hymn began, every Sunday she would gather up her belongings and head to the fellowship hall to make sure that everything, and I mean everything, was okay for coffee fellowship. And after she died, we even named the kitchen Teresa's Kitchen. On Sunday mornings, I make my way around the sanctuary greeting people I did that in that church as well. And every Sunday, I would stop by to say hello to Teresa. I would sit down right beside her. And then she would start up pointing to somebody, complaining about this person, complaining about that person. And then she would slip her hand into her pocketbook, get a piece of hard candy, and then stealthily slide it on the pew next to me, and then I would get it and put it back in my pocket. Week after week, we did that. Teresa has been dead for, gosh, more than 20 years now, and I still miss her, and I still miss that personal ritual that we enjoyed on Sunday mornings that celebrated our relationship, that little piece of candy, week after week, sliding across the pew. I am a creature of habit, and I suspect that since you are here today, that you also are a creature of habit. After all, worship is the ritual that brings us together week after week, our service as a familiar and trusted rhythm whose repetition draws us closer to the presence of God. For six days, God labored to create the heavens and on the earth, and on the seventh day, God rested. Because God rested, we gathered to praise God's name, and we gather also to what? Rest the rest of the sabbath is joyful and that has sometimes been very very difficult for christians to remember my friend sarah grew up in the 1920s and the 1930s when she was a little girl on sunday mornings they went to church and sunday school but the rest of the day quiet bible reading prayer no games No fun, no running, no climbing trees. Think about God all day long. Their Sabbath was a day dedicated to God, and that kind of determination and focus are admirable, and perhaps they are qualities that we would do well to emulate. After all, the Sabbath is not just another day. As a matter of fact, in ancient Israel, Their faith was distinguished in two primary ways. First, they did not use idols as their neighbors did. They refused to see in this little thing a representation of God and stubbornly insisted that we see each other's face. When we see each other's face, we behold the image of God. And secondly, the second thing that separated Israel from all of its neighbors is the Sabbath. That is unique to Judaism it was a day that was embraced with celebration and joy it was a day to gather not only to worship but to spend time with friends and family and song and good food and good drink it was an opportunity to remember that all of creation indeed life itself comes to us as a gift from god's loving and gracious hands and so for us we we observe the sabbath when we gather here to sing praises and to hear anew the story of our God, but but we also observe the Sabbath when we go out to lunch with friends after the service, or visit the museum, or play softball in the park, or go to a movie, or play games with friends. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. God rested on the Sabbath day, and so guess what? That's what we're called to do, rest on the seventh day. And if we were only reading this morning for the book of Exodus, or oh, well, if you're reading for the book of Exodus at all, I could just say amen and sit down. And we should all remember in that case that the Sabbath is a day of joy and celebration, but we're not reading Exodus today. We're reading the book of Deuteronomy, and that is radically different. In the book of Exodus, the Sabbath is grounded in God resting on the seventh day, not in Deuteronomy. Remember, You were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you up from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In Exodus, Sabbath is a day of rest. In Deuteronomy, Sabbath is a day of justice. Unlike our modern judicial system, biblical justice is not the passing of a sentence. Biblical justice is God making things right in our world. And so, as we observed a few weeks ago, when Moses went down on God's behalf to liberate the Hebrew children from Egypt, Moses did not go to the priests of Egypt. Moses did not go to the houses of worship in Egypt. Uh, Moses did not go to Egypt to teach his brothers and sisters how to pray. Where did Moses go when Moses went down to Egypt? To, okay, nobody in here knows where Moses went. So anybody online, does anybody online know where Moses went when Moses went down to Egypt? Moses went to Pharaoh, thank you. Moses went to Pharaoh, the very citadel, the very center of Egyptian military and political power. He challenged and chastised the social and economic systems and practices of the empire. Moses did not go to Egypt to worship with his people as God's very mouthpiece. He spoke out on behalf of those who had been denied a voice, and Moses demanded change. Moses confronted the ruthless exploitation of the weak, the poor, and the enslaved, and Moses demanded change. Liberation. In other words, in the Exodus event, God gets God's hands dirty and the dirtiness of the world. God interferes with the politics of the world. Righting wrongs Releasing captives, feeding the hungry, challenging systems of oppression. No wonder Carl Bart once said that when we clasp our hands together in prayer, this is the beginning, the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. In Exodus, the Sabbath is about rest. in Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is about God making things right. It is a matter of justice. And so, my friends, we observe the Sabbath when we get our hands dirty the way that God and then Jesus got their hands dirty, shattering the shackles of slavery, whether it's enslavement to an overseer in Egypt, or enslavement to addiction, or enslavement to poverty, or enslavement to a violent family or enslavement to a world view that denigrates and dehumanizes those who are different. The church is called to be political, as God is political. And let us be very careful here. I am not at all suggesting, nor is scripture suggesting, that we be partisan. But we are called to be political, as God was political. Now, if if you are anything uh, like me, that might that might not sit well with you. The fourth commandment really makes me uncomfortable. Of all the commandments, it's the one that I wish we could take out. Because this reminds us that our God is annoyingly disruptive and tenaciously political because God is stubbornly committed to shalom for all people. For 2,000 years, the Church of Jesus Christ has struggled to maintain and live out this message. As a matter of fact, the Apostles' Creed, the very Apostles' Creed, was written in large measure to refute the heresy that God wanted nothing to do with the world. The Monastic movement of the 4th century was a rejection of a church that had aligned itself too easily and too comfortably with Rome. Unless we forget, in the 19th century, southern pastors and theologians justified slavery in no small measure by arguing that the church should be concerned with spiritual stuff and not the political, economic, and social systems of the world. Which helps us understand that when some slave owners allowed their slaves to go to church or read scripture they were not allowed to read the story of the Exodus when we spiritualize and individualize God in this manner we are left with a lifeless idol that does nothing more than sanction life as we want it to be this is a polite and passive God who walks with us and talks with us and tells us that we are his own but never summons us to confront the Pharaohs of the world, never challenges us to demand change in the world, never asks us to liberate in this world our brothers and sisters held captive to cycles of poverty, hate, privation, and violence. And so we come here. reluctantly perhaps, but we come here either in person or online We come here to praise God and to hear the story of this scandalous, annoying God who interferes in human existence again and again and again. And here's the primary point. We worship a God who dares to intervene in human history because our God refuses to stand idly and passively by while we hurt and while we hurt one another. And so we observe the Sabbath day when we gather as a community. We observe the Sabbath day when we sing praises to God. We observe the Sabbath day when we teach English as a second language. We observe the second commandment, the fourth commandment, as well. As maybe you know, we join with our brothers and sisters in Africa to provide wells of clean, safe water for our brothers and sisters in need. Whenever we reach out to make a difference, to help someone, we are observing the Sabbath and we are being political as God is political, seeking to alleviate suffering in the world sometimes, believe it or not, sometimes even a group of women who gather weekly for prayer is an example of the wonderful, wonderful power of the Sabbath. Her, her name is Jan. Jan had three beautiful children. And every Sunday in that church, Jan and her three children sat on the back on my left all smiles. And yet their smiles conceal a horrible secret. At home, Jan's husband was emotionally, verbally, and occasionally physically abusing Jan. I found out about. Her. And I thought about her every Sunday morning when she sat in the back behind all those smiles. I knew what was going on. It's the same thing that goes on too many times in our society. In one church I served, I was there so long that I discovered, after visiting everyone over a number of years, that at least at least ten percent of the women in that congregation had been in an abusive relationship. Most of the times they don't have. Most of the time, they don't don't have the, it's not just the courage, but it's the sense of self and the financial and emotional network and security to be able to get out of that prison of abuse. And so I asked three other women in the church to meet with Jan weekly to pray. And they met in my office Tuesday evenings. They would get together. I wasn't there. They were there. And they simply listened to Jan. And they to help Jan to realize that she did not have to put up with that, that, indeed, she had a choice. And they prayed for Jan week after week until the day came that she actually summoned the courage, the tenacity, the love for her family that she divorced her husband. It doesn't happen often enough for women trapped in that situation and I don't want to mislead you, this was not neat and nice and tidy by by any means. It was messy, as most of human life is messy. But she had at least, uh, with the help of those three women, broken that cycle of violence in her life. Even three women gathering together to pray can summon the redemptive, liberating power of Sabbath and make possible a new life for so many of God's children who are still trapped in slavery. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy the Lord your God brought you up out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Lest we ever, lest we ever forget the Sabbath is a joyful matter of justice. Amen.